0: Great to see you all. If you're new or haven't met you before, particularly welcome to you as well. My name is Philip. I lead the church here, and uh, we're going to continue on together this morning. Uh, if you are new, in fact, you've, put, you've picked a pretty good morning to be with us because we're starting a brand new series this morning. brand new series on the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to be in Genesis chapter 37. Uh, but if you don't, fear not, the words will appear behind me on the screen. And we've called the series Life as It Should Be. Life as It Should Be. And I guess you might know a fair bit about the story already. It's probably familiar to a number of us, but it may not be familiar. But either way, let me give you a little bit of background on the story of Joseph. So, way, way back, many centuries ago, in fact, not long after the Bible began. Jacob lived in the land of Canaan, a fine example of a family man. (laughs) Jacob, Jacob and his sons, depended on farming to earn their keep. Jacob, Jacob and his sons, spent all of his days in the fields with sheep. It's a rare breed of Israeli sheep, commonly, <laughs> commonly found in the Middle East. So Jacob was the founder of a whole new nation, uh, thanks to the number of children that he had. He was also known as Israel, but most of the time his sons and his wives used to call him dad. I don't know why his wives called him dad, it's a bit weird, but anyway. <laughs> Reuben was the eldest of the children of Israel, with Simeon and Levi next in line. Naphtali and Issachar with Asher and Dan, Zebulun and Gad took the total to nine, Jacob, Jacob and sons, Benjamin and Judah, which leaves only one, Jacob, Jacob and sons, Joseph, Jacob's favorite son. There we go. I bet you're glad I didn't sing it, but I hope that helps nonetheless. (laughs) So, with those warm and fuzzy feelings with Joseph's musical in mind, let's get into the passage in question. We're in Genesis 37. It's a long passage. So, here we go. Verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamt. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamt another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamt another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamt? Shall I and your mothers and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now, His brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing their flock? And the man said, they have gone away. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers, and he found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and they threw him into a pit. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. And the rest of the passage goes on to say how Joseph's brothers took his robe, his cloak, they dipped it in animals' blood, they presented it to their father Jacob, uh, and gave him the pretense that Joseph had been killed by animals, and Jacob grieves accordingly. So, As families go, (laughs) this is a a pretty messy family, to put it mildly. But but just for a second, just park the extremes of Joseph's messy family. Because I guess, if we're honest, all families are a little bit messy, aren't they? All families are a little bit messy. Every normal family, whatever that means, has its fair share of kind of everyday messiness, doesn't it? Whether it's quarreling children... (laughs) or dodgy holidays, or the occasional awkward Christmas moment, uh, or the occasional embarrassing uncle, or that conversation that we just don't really have in our family. Everybody has a bit of everyday messiness in their family. Perhaps the Queen uh, says it rather wonderfully in her own very gracious way when she says, All the best families have their share of eccentricities, of impetuous and wayward youngsters, and of family disagreements with possibly possible veiled and typically understated reference to her own family. I don't know. But rather comforting words from our queen there, I think. And that might be your family. You might say, yeah, that's our family. We have our fair share of eccentricities and family disagreements. That's certainly the case in my family, I think. Or you might say, actually, there's a lot more mess in my family, if I'm honest. Perhaps you know what it is to have a family that is, that is fractured, or one that has been fractured, or one that has significant pain or upheaval in it. The messiness is far more pronounced, perhaps, in your family. Well, whatever your family is like, however messy it is, whether it's one of just a few eccentricities and family disagreements, like the Queen said, or whether it's one of significant fracture and pain... I think the Bible, and particularly this section of Genesis, the Joseph story, is really good news. Because if it tells us one thing, it tells us that God loves messy families. He really does. He loves messy families. I want to help us to see that this morning. And to understand that, you're going to need to see three things. One, the reasons behind the mess. Two, the opportunity in the mess. And three, the hope of the mess. The reasons, the opportunity, and the hope. So number one, the reason behind the mess. Speaking of families, I was at a family gathering uh, a while ago. I'm sure you've been to these kinds of things where it's sort of wider family, cousins and aunts and uncles and that kind of stuff. And uh, we're in quite a big room, but it's quite a full room, so you couldn't really sit down. And so uh, I found myself stood up having a, having a conversation, and there was a lovely open fire in the room. And I've developed a bit of a strange habit over the years. I really like standing in front of, of an open fire. I don't know, maybe it makes me feel like a sort of Lord of the Manor or something, I don't know. But anyway, I, like, I quite like standing in front of an open fire, having a conversation. So I found myself stood in front of the open fire, tend to kind of lift, stand on my toes and rest my heels on the sort of hearth. And I had a ha- my hand in one pocket and I had a drink in the other one. And uh, I was chatting about sport as per normal to the members of my family. And nothing all, uh, out of the ordinary in that, you might think. But then I just sort of looked over, over my kind of right shoulder and realised my dad was, was standing, standing right here. And uh, it's one of those kind of moments where sort of time slightly stands still as you just reflect on, on who you are and where you've come from. Because I realised that just as I was stood um, sort of on my toes slightly with my heels on the hearth of the fire and my left hand in my pocket and my right hand holding a drink and wearing a sort of blue shirt and jumper combo talking about sport, there's my dad <laughs> with his heels on the hearth and his left hand in his pocket and his right hand holding a drink with a blue shirt and jumper combo talking about sport. And in that moment, I thought, I'm quite like my dad. I have become my father. And if you ever had that particular experience, it happens to me fairly regularly. And I think we probably would all agree, would we not, that many of us, all of us really, are shaped by our parents to a degree. For good and for ill, we are shaped and formed by our parents. Parents, your children, are and will be, of course, shaped and formed by you. For good and for ill. And the reality is that we are a product of our parents, at least to an extent. And even if we've had great parents, we will inherit some of their imperfections and foibles and faults and insecurities and so on. Even if you're a great parent, some of your children will probably just inherit some of your foibles and faults and insecurities and so on. I'm really grateful, really grateful that I've had a great dad. I really have. And I'm so grateful for that. But I've inherited some of his faults and imperfections. More even than simply talking about sport all the time. There are other ones that I have inherited from him. And in blunt terms, it's parents that are behind this family mess. So the point we're on is the cause behind the mess. In really blunt terms, Jacob is the cause. He's what's behind this family mess, I would suggest. Let me tell you something of Jacob's story you can see in the preceding chapters in in, uh, Genesis. You see, when Jacob was young, his own father made it very clear that he preferred his brother Esau to him. And to mess him up a little bit more, his mother made it clear that she preferred him to Esau. And to mess him up a little bit more, his mother, Rebecca, actually actively encouraged Jacob to deceive his father into giving him the kind of ancient uh, tradition of the paternal blessing. And so unsurprisingly, Jacob grows up with a pretty confused understanding of what love is. And in adult life, he becomes kind of fixated on a woman called Rachel. He basically says in his heart, I have to have her. If I can have her, it'll fix my life. It'll fix that, that yearning that's in my heart. And he gets her. He gets her. But tragically, he loses her later in life when she dies, giving birth to their second son. And so what you see Jacob doing is kind of transferring his like, emotional energy, the emotional center of his life, from, from Rachel, this wife of his, towards Joseph. Joseph becomes, if you like, the emotional center of Jacob's life. That which he's going to pour his energy into and his time and his emotion and his money. And although Jacob is aware of the God of the Bible, he knows the God of the Bible, he's encountered God on on some significant occasions. Try as he might, even as an old man, older dad, he can't fix what's in his heart. He can't fix the the deepest kind of hurts and desires and, and insecurities that have been driving him. And I guess if we're speaking in simple terms, that's the fundamental problem of humanity in some ways, isn't it? It's the stuff in here. Call it the heart or the spirit, whatever you want. The stuff in here, the the hurts, the insecurities, often formed in childhood, which tend to drive so much of what we do for good and for ill. So at which point we could just say, well, Jacob just needs to do better, doesn't he? He just needs to be a better parent. He just needs to try harder, have a change of heart, to coin the phrase. And we could say that, couldn't we? Perhaps to our own messy families, whether we're parents or our own parents or children. We could just, you need to do better. Behave better. I could say it to you, the parents this morning. Don't be like Jacob. Love more. Be fairer. End of sermon. That would be the lesson learnt. But I don't, that's basically what moralism says or what, frankly, most religions say they say, you need to, if you can change yourself by being like these people or not like these people, then God will bless you. And that's not the story of the Bible. It's not the Christian gospel. The story of the Bible is one big story of the grace of God intervening into the lives of messy people and messy families whilst they're messy. Like, look at the story of the Bible. Look at some of the key characters that we probably will know their names. Think how messy they really were. Moses, who was a murderer. David, King David, the greatest king of Israel, was an adulterer and a murderer. Gideon was a coward. Rahab was a prostitute. Paul tried to destroy the church. And worst of all, Matthew basically worked for the Inland Revenue. <laughs> <laughs> Some messy people in the Bible. And not once does God wait for them to somehow improve their morality levels before he blesses them and intervenes in their lives and shapes them and uses them. That's the story of the Bible. God loves messy families. I want you to hear that this morning. God loves messy families. You see, later on in the Old Testament, in the story of the Bible, hundreds of years after Joseph and his family have been around, God makes this wonderful promise. He speaks, if you like, through a prophet called Ezekiel. He makes this great promise uh, initially to the people of Israel, but actually broadly to all peoples that would come to him. God says this in in Ezekiel, And I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's, if you like, the story of the Bible in one verse. It's the grace of God intervening in messy people's lives whilst they're messy, diagnosing what's wrong with us, which is the state of our hearts, the things that lurk in here that drive us and that cause us to damage ourselves and others. God diagnoses that accurately and then fixes it. He doesn't just diagnose it by his grace. He brings healing to it, a solution to it. The story of the Bible is you get brought into the family of God and given a new heart. That's what Jacob needed. It was a new heart. It's the story of the Bible. The grace of God intervening into messy people's lives. Yeah, diagnosing what's wrong with us. And then by grace, calling us into his family and shaping us and giving us newness of life and a newness of hearts. So number two, what about the opportunity in the mess? If the cause of the mess was, was parenting, both the parenting Jacob had received and the parenting he gave. But what's the opportunity in the mess? Um, I really like the story of Richard Branson. I'm sure most of us will know uh, Mr. Branson. He's the, obviously the founder of the Virgin Group. He's reputed to be worth a mere three and a half billion pounds. 400 different companies in the Virgin Group. And I'm wondering whether within the Virgin Group, whether you've heard of these companies, Virgin Cola, Virgin Clothes, Virgin Wine, Virgin Jeans, Virgin Cars. You heard of those? Well, probably not, because they all failed. They're all companies within the Virgin Group that went bust, didn't even get off the ground or went bust. Complete mess, each one of them, which is why you're not wearing Virgin Jeans or drinking Virgin Wine this evening. But interestingly, if you listen to Richard Branson, he would say he doesn't really regard those messy moments as anything other than opportunities. He saw them as opportunities, opportunities to do things better, opportunities to change, opportunities to bring transformation. And I guess if you speak to any leader worth his or her salt of any organisation, they'll say the same thing. A mess a failure is always a great opportunity to do things better, to learn, to see change and transformation. And I want to suggest that in this mess of Jacob's family, there was a significant parenting opportunity for him. Significant parenting opportunity. And more broadly, for us as followers of Jesus, I would suggest there are always opportunities for the gospel of Jesus to bring about grace and change and transformation in messy situations. I want to say to you that gospel is always the answer. It's always the answer to a messy marriage. It's the answer to a messy church. It's the answer to a messy uh, boss-employee relationship. It's the answer to a messy friendship. The gospel is always the solution if we know how to apply it. So let me give you a couple of gospel opportunities that I think Jacob had as a dad. Obviously, I could speak from my vast experience of parenting, but I won't do that for now. I want to speak from what I think the gospel says. And actually, we're going to be doing a mini-series on parenting. After Easter, we're going to take three Sundays, like a mini-parenting series. We've got a couple of great couples from other churches who are going to come in and serve us, I think, wonderfully. But for the moment, I'm just going to sit in what the gospel tells me. And I think that will be helpful to us to see how Jacob, as a dad, as a parent, could have seized an opportunity within the mess. And actually, these aren't only points for dads or for parents. These are points for anybody who's in a messy situation with a degree of influence to bring to bear. So two points. First opportunity uh, Jacob had was devotion. Remember, these are things the gospel tells me and the gospel works to bring. Not because I'm going to try harder and do better and have a changer. This is what the gospel tells me. The gospel tells me that through faith in Christ, I am fully identified with him. So my faith in him identifies me with his perfect life, his death to sin, His resurrection to newness of life, I'm perfectly identified with that. And because he is a son of God, I'm identified with him, alongside him. The Bible says we're also sons and daughters, co-heirs alongside Jesus, children in the family of God. And I know the gospel tells me that the father loves Jesus with an undivided, perfect sense of devotion. And so he does for me as well. That's the joy of being a Christian. Every morning, whatever your devotion to God is like, you wake up to his devotion over you, guaranteed, because of his devotion to Christ. So when I know that, when I know the gospel, when I know that I'm a son in the family of God and the recipient of perfect fatherly devotion every single morning, then I can bring to bear something of the devotion of God into the mess. Isn't that what Joseph's brothers needed? The devotion of God. Of Jacob, isn't it? Can you imagine what it must have been like for them? Maybe you can imagine because you know. What was it like for them to grow up knowing their dad loved one of their siblings more than them? What must that have been like to know that you were a second class child in your father's eyes? Some of you do know what it's like. What Jacob's brothers needed was the devotion of their father. There was an opportunity in the mess of this fracture and envy and jealousy and misunderstanding for Jacob to simply bring the devotion of a father to those sons. What about you? Dads, what about you? Is there an opportunity this week in the mess of family, the everyday messiness of family or the dramatic mess of family? is an opportunity to simply bring a sense of devotion to your children. Not because you're trying really hard, but because you've dwelt and you understand the gospel so well. You understand you are one who receives perfect devotion every morning from your father. And so that can flow not just into you, but through you and out of you to your children. In the mess. (laughs) In the mess. Maybe like me, you're not. You're not a parent. What opportunities are there this week to bring something of the devotion of God, the love of God, into an environment? It might be a bit messy. In my experience, if people know that you care, they'll probably listen to what you have to say. If they sense that you're devoted to them, you can say almost anything. (laughs) It's an opportunity for you this week to bring a sense of God's love and devotion into a messy situation. Second opportunity that I think Jacob had as a dad, as a parent. Second D, discipleship. The first one was devotion, the second one was discipleship. A bit of a religious word. What does it mean? It means training, means coaching, means teaching. And that's what God is doing with us all the time. Coaching us, teaching us, training us, shaping us, refining us. That's why the Bible says that if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. You're a follower of Jesus, as we talked about last week. And I want to suggest that's what Joseph was in need of, wasn't it? Discipleship, training, coaching from his dad. He needed his dad to get hold of him and say, okay, come on, son, tell me about these dreams. Tell me about these dreams. Tell me about what what, what do you think God's saying to you? What do you think of the gifts and the skills and the talents that God's given you? And how can I help you to realize those and use them wisely and and for people's good and flourishing and fruitfulness? That's what Joseph needed. I think William Shakespeare puts it brilliantly. The voice of parents is the voice of God's. For to their children, they are heaven's lieutenants. Just excuse for a moment Shakespeare's pluralistic approach to gods, but just park that for a second. I think he's still being incredibly helpful to us. What he's saying is the voice of a parent, the devoted, discipling voice of a parent, he's saying it's the stuff of heaven. That's helpful, I think, from Shakespeare. And again, when we get the gospel, when we know that whilst we were messy... Christ won for us a place in the family of God when we were messy people. And as such, because of that, we have a devoted father who is constantly discipling us and giving us a newer and newer and newer heart. When we get that, then we can act with devotion and discipleship to our children. You see, the gospel is always a solution. Clenching our fist and trying really hard is not. It's called moralism. Dads. Parents, opportunities this week to disciple children, coaching, training, in the mess maybe. Not after the mess is cleared up and nicely packaged and explained, but in the middle of it is an opportunity to coach, to train. What's God saying to you? What do you want to be? What are your dreams and gifts? How can I help you realize those? I'm not saying this because I'm a parent. I'm not even a parent. I just have the perfect parent. And that's what he's doing for us all the time. More broadly, we talked last week about being people who are cultivating disciples, followers of Christ. Messy situations can be great opportunities to bring people onto that journey of following Jesus, being a disciple. Is there an opportunity this week, in a mess that you know about or a mess that you're about to find out about, to actually add something of a discipling it? relationship, training, coaching, asking questions. In my experience, when I'm not sure what to say or what to do, which is quite often in my case, asking questions often is the best way of leading people out of a mess. So, number one, we said the cause of the mess. Number two, the opportunities in the mess. And number three, last point, the hope of the mess. Because sadly, Jacob doesn't take the opportunities that were afforded to him. The chapter ends, as we saw, with Joseph uh, trafficked to Egypt as a human slave and Jacob deceived by his own sons to believe that Joseph is, in fact, dead. It's a pretty messy situation. And what's more, where's God in that chapter? God is conspicuous only really by his silence in that chapter. And in fact, in this whole story of Joseph from Genesis 37 through to 50, God is relatively silent. He's been very overtly active in the preceding chapters, Abraham and Isaac and so on. God's pretty silent in the story of Joseph. I want to say to you this morning, do not mistake the silence of God in the mess for his absence. God is always at work in messy families, even when we can't see him. He is. Hindsight is really helpful here. And if you don't know the story of Joseph, slight spoiler alert for you. But hindsight helps us see that God was really active in the background, silently arranging things in Joseph's messy family. You see, because Joseph is not killed but sold into slavery, because of that fact, God is able to work beautifully in Joseph's character. Spends 13 years shaping him, refining him, disciplining him because of what Joseph is about to go through. And at the end of that 13 years, when a natural disaster hits Egypt, Joseph is right at the center of power because he was trafficked into human slavery in Egypt. He's there right when it matters. And because of that, Egypt is saved from famine. Joseph's family is saved from famine. Joseph's family becomes the the beginning, the patriarchs of the whole of the nation of Israel, all because Joseph went through what he went through, chucked in a pit by his own siblings and sold into human slavery. In the messiest of families, God is working something quite beautiful. Do you believe that? In the messiest ones. It had to happen like this. For Joseph, to be, for Joseph to, to, to be changed from being a pretty insensitive, arrogant, potentially dangerous individual, he needed to go through this. It had to happen this way for his family to be saved, for Egypt to be saved, for the nation of Israel to be saved. It had to happen like this. In simple terms, if Joseph doesn't get sold into slavery, everyone perishes. Let me say this gently. God's wise, redeeming love is not incompatible with the worst of things happening to you and to your family. Do you believe that? You might say, Philip, you you don't know what my family's like. You don't know what my family's like. There you go, standing there with your nice dad. My family, you might say, is as messy as they come. It's been torn apart, maybe, by who knows what. Well, your response this morning might be only this. It might be to say, God, I can't see you in this mess, but I trust you. Show me what you're doing. I bet Joseph would have prayed that <laughs> in that pit, or whilst he was being led all the way to Egypt into a foreign land and who knows what. God, I don't know what you're doing. Show me what you're doing. If that's the prayer you pray this morning, that's a brilliant thing to pray. You might say, God, also in the mess, could you show me the opportunities? I can't see them, but can you show me the opportunities that there are for, uh, for devotion and discipleship to be demonstrated? How can I, as a, as a, a much-loved son or daughter of God, how can I bring something of your devotion into my messy family? How can I bring something of the wonderful discipling, coaching, teaching, training uh, dynamic of Jesus in my life into the situation that I'm in? It's a good prayer to pray. I don't understand, God. I don't see you. Show me what you're doing and show me the opportunities there are to bring transformation, to bring a new heart into the mess. Or perhaps it's just the everyday messiness that all families have. And we do, don't we? We all have stuff in our families. I'll be a bit more down to earth maybe for you this week. What are the opportunities to bring a sense of the devotion of God and the discipleship of God into a messy family or a messy situation this week don't wait for it all to be cleared up and packaged away and shoved under a carpet somewhere who knows what God might do within the mess look what he did in Joseph's mess say the nation started a brand new nation put a family tree in place from which Christ Jesus himself came one who was thrown into a pit one who wasn't given a robe but had his one who wasn't had to have a robe ripped from him, but had a mock robe placed upon him. One who wasn't just sold into temporary slavery, but made himself a slave, made himself a servant. The parallels are endless with the story of Joseph and the story of Jesus. Look at what God was setting into motion when Joseph and his messy family were in the midst of their mess. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to just take some time to respond. As always, when when God is speaking through what he's been saying, it's really helpful. It's important to respond to that. I know some of the situations. I don't know all of them. For some of you, it's just actually, do you know what? It's okay to have a little bit of messiness in our family. It's just normal. What are the opportunities in there and the hope in there? For others of you, this is the number one thing that you live with. So let's respond. Let's ask God what he wants to do. Robin, could you guys come and join me? In a second, I'm just going to ask you to stand. What I'm going to do is just pray for us. We're going to worship with Robin and the band, and there'll be an opportunity to respond, pray, worship, think, talk where you are. We can be a little bit messy as well here. We can sit and chat to the person next to us during worship. That's fine. We can pray for each other. And there'll be a prayer team shortly coming out to my left. who would love to pray with you and stand with you. Speaking of standing, shall we stand? And I want to pray for us. Lord God, we thank you that the gospel tells us that you are the devoted father that we have because of Jesus. You drew us to have faith in the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the victorious resurrection of Jesus himself. And as such, we were made a son, a daughter, a co-heir into the family of God. And we have your devotion, and we have your constant discipling attention to us. We're so grateful for that, God. And we long that many, many, many more would know the joy of being drawn into the family of God to know your perfect parenting. And God, we also stand here in, in the mess a little bit. Whatever our situation is, particularly in our own families, we just bring those to you now. Just the everyday mess, confusion, tiredness, disappointment sometimes that family can bring, as well as the wonderful ups and downs and joys and privileges we sit in that place. And God, if, if family for us is something which is a, effectively a euphemism for for brokenness, or for hurts, then we, we stand in that place before you guys saying, show us what you're doing. Show us what you're doing. Bring about wonderful transformation. Bring healing. Bring, <coughs> bring transformation. Bring joy. And show us how we can be, if you like, salt and light, flavoring things, bringing a light to things, bringing the devotion of God and the discipleship of God that families might change. We love you, God. We trust you. Even if we can't see what you're doing, we say we trust you. In your name, for your glory, for the proclamation and expanse of your kingdom and the fame of your name, we say we trust you. Lead us on. Amen.